Research older by ID six six two seven. We've had a level five breach. Implement quarantine procedures immediately. Implement quarantine procedures now. Welcome to now playing podcast review of Doom. Welcome to the Ark, gentlemen. Part of now playing video game movie review series. Look alive, man. Game time. Hosted by Arnie. That is home. Justin. Say my name, baby. Ed Stewart. They're okay, they're just scared shitless. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. I took his name in vain. Listener discretion is advised. I guess you gotta face your demons sometime. Today we're discussing Doom. Starring Carl Urban, The Rock before he was Dwayne Johnson. Roseman Pike, directed by Andre Bartkowiak. I'm not going to say that again this entire show. I'm just going to say the director <laughs> of Chun-Li. He worked again. No, this was before. Yeah, he worked again. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> you go from this to Chun-Li. <laughs> this is Arnie, your doomed co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is Justin. And I'm not here to retrieve your science homework. <laughs> All right, Doom. I lived Doom in college. Doom, Doom 2, and Doom 3 was one of the last games I played hardcore before I started podcasting and stopped having time for video games. Doom is the shit. I played this game for thousands of hours. I played multiplayer. I played single player. We'd modem up our friends. We'd have LAN parties at my house and just run around Doom maps shooting each other. I love Doom. Hey, if Doom wasn't the first first-person shooter, it was certainly the biggest. It wasn't the first. The first first-person shooter I played, I was a college sophomore, and there was a game that was shareware. You could download it from BBSs, if you remember those you dialed up to. And it was called Wolfenstein 3D. I'd never heard of the game Castle Wolfenstein. Oh my god, I played that game all the time as a kid on the computer. Yeah, they took that plot of you being this guy shooting Nazis and made it the very first first-person shooter. And you got the first level for free, and then if you paid them, you got the other six levels. And I played that first one so much that I ended up, I paid them, and I got the other levels. And then I found out that they were coming out with a sequel or a new game called Doom, where it was going to have much better graphics, and instead of fighting Nazis, you were fighting demons. They did a demo that you could download download for free, and it was MS-DOS, Microsoft actually released a report that at one point, there were more installed copies of Doom than installed copies of Windows. Mm, wow. And somehow I missed it all. You know, they had always bought the wrong computers. We'd buy games and they just would fail. And I just, I got the 
thinking that a computer could only work as a word processor. So I didn't really play a whole lot of computer games until the late 90s. And I don't think I would ever play this one because I hate, hate, hate GoldenEye and first player shooters. I'm so bad at them. Now, GoldenEye is a Doom ripoff, I want to say. Sure, sure, sure. But I couldn't tell. You said Doom and I was like, is that Halo? Is that Descent? Is that Quake? I, I didn't know what the iconography was. I didn't know what you were supposed to fight. I remembered this movie coming out, so I assumed it was that you were some astronaut in space shooting aliens, but no. I felt so unknowledgeable. I actually went and bought a book. Believe it or not, journalist David Kushner wrote a whole book on how, yeah, the two Johns, John Carmack and John Romero, built id games and designed Doom. The, quote, Lennon and McCartney of video games? That seems like an oversight. <laughs> no, it truly is not at the time. Again, I've mentioned I was a console gamer up until about Street Fighter, and then I became a PC gamer and wanted to be a game developer. And I was reading all the game magazines. The internet was just starting. I was talking with game developers. I was going to the game developers conference. John Romero and John Carmack were rock stars. Every company wanted to have their Doom because Doom was an incredible success. And Doom begat Quake begat Unreal. That is kind of the secession. There were also some spinoffs where they'd license out their engines and things. But these were PC games. They eventually got ported to consoles, but if you played these, you were on a computer, you were using the WASD keys to control and using control, space, and alt to fire and change your weapons and things, and multiplayer, computer versus computer. And John Romero, man, he was such a superstar. He was on the cover of magazines, and he left id because I think they had an ego problem because he was taking all the credit when the truth is, as I understand it, John Carmack did all the hard stuff. John Carmack did the real advanced coding and really made the game. And John Romero was like, and let's put demons in skulls. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can read the book. I mean, it's it goes into greater detail than I ever cared to, to learn about two people I had never heard of before. But yeah, this catches them really at their peak. Doom is, I think, the thing that really made them. They had previous success, but this is the game that really changed PC gaming. I think what they get credit for is before, if you wanted to play games, you would buy a video game console. And after Doom, you'd be more likely to play it on your home computer. I think you're right. I think Doom was the game that did that to me. I didn't have a console my sophomore year. I had a computer. I found Wolfenstein, I found Doom, and then I was opening my eyes to the world of computer gaming. I got a sound card, I got a CD-ROM, I got X-Wing. These were the games. Doom and X-Wing were my two games that really made me a gamer and wanted me to up my specs and get the high-end graphic cards and 32 megs of RAM back then and all that. This was my gateway, and yeah. I can't tell you how many nights my friends and I stayed up all night shooting each other in Doom. It was so fun, and it still is. I went back, I played the original, I replayed some Doom 3, I played the newest console version of Doom, which still is pretty fun, and then... I was splurged. I wanted to try it anyway. I'd been kind of hankering. I got the VR headset for the PlayStation 4 when I found out, A, it was on sale, cheap, and B, it came with Doom, the VR game. And I'm like, well, we're reviewing it. I have to be able to speak to that. <laughs> Here's the thing. I cared so little. I came over to watch you play Doom. I'm like, look, I hate GoldenEye. I'm not going to play this game. No way. But when you broke out that VR headset, boy, 
boy, that was fun. That just totally <laughs> changes the domain. It's the same game, but when you're immersed in that world in that way, I definitely got more into it. And I definitely could see spending lots of hours playing that new VR version. Not the old one, just not my thing. But the new one, totally with it. You know, being a graphic artist, I've always been kind of a Mac guy, you know, so computer games show up on Mac months, if not years later. But my brother at this time was definitely making that jump from home console to building his own rig. We were living together at the time and there would be days where, you know, a shell would show up or a box of parts would show up and he's building the supercomputer and he brought me into Doom and it was definitely something fun to play and sit around and watch other people play and he got so into it that he was modifying levels, you know, I think he even reskinned a good portion of it and had his own version of Doom for a while. The book makes that clear as part of the appeal as well, that the way that they were releasing it, it allowed people to be designers in a way, to create their own levels. Someone came up with the Star Wars Doom within weeks of its release, and I did that. I made Doom levels. They had just the developer tools when you picked it up, and I tried it. I didn't like them so much. I had trouble getting their tools to work, and then Duke Nukem came out and had a more refined version of the tool, so I ended up making dozens of levels for Duke Nukem and actually contacting the developers and I'm like, yeah, I've built a three-story building and it's crashing your thing. And they're like, well, we're really not supposed to go three levels deep. It doesn't do that. (laughs) So... I was doing things that I wasn't even supposed to do on it. But yeah, I definitely made a couple levels of Doom and enjoyed them. Doom and Duke Nukem is what got me to think I should make games. I enjoyed making the levels. I enjoyed playing the games. I had ideas for games. I wanted to be a storyteller. Games were becoming more story-driven. And so I decided that might be a really fun career path. This also came out at the height of scrutiny towards video games. The same year legislation was passed, we need to look at what children are exposed to. These guys pride themselves on making really graphic bodies dropping on the ground, blood spatter. That was all relatively new in a mainstream game. You might have been able to get the Texas Chainsaw Atari 2600 under the counter back in the day, but for kids to get a handle on something so violent and intense, this game was fast and furious, and I think it's scary adults. It had a chainsaw. When you ran out of ammo, you grabbed the chainsaw. (laughs) I played my boss in this because, again, I had the job that he didn't care if I worked so long as I answered the phone. And he was in a bad marriage, so he wanted to game a lot. And he was so bad at this, and I was so good at this, that I told him I'd play him and I would only use the chainsaw. He could use any gun. He could use the BFG. I'd use the chainsaw. I kicked his ass. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that might have been part of why it took so long for this to come to movie screens. I mean, this is an inordinate amount of time for a hit game from 1993 to 2005 is about as long as it's taken any game to reach the screen other than Final Fantasy. You know, this got linked to the Columbine shooting. You know, there was just a lot of controversy around Doom and its negative influence, and I don't think they knew how to crack the case. It was bought relatively early, and you'd be surprised who first optioned it. Ivan Reitman director of Ghostbusters and Stripes 
I could see that. This has a Ghostbusters feel. The original Doom, you know, it wasn't very story. There were no cutscenes, but it would have text screens that would pop up that said like a portal opened and demons from hell came out and you'd actually go to hell. You add a little humor to that. You a lot of humor. I'm not laughing when I watch Doom. Let me put it that way. <laughs> but I could see that concept of these demons and things being turned into a movie like Evolution or Ghostbusters. You could see Bill Murray running down these halls with the chainsaw. I think it's a weird choice, but it's worth pointing out Ivan Reitman did adapt Heavy Metal, that animated movie from the 80s. And, you know, at this point, his career was in the slum. He was doing Junior and Father's Day, Six Days, Seven Nights. Evolution was not a hit. It Eventually, it flamed out, and it just kept passing to studios. Columbia had it for a while. Warner Brothers was looking for their next Matrix. Doom was going to be it. And then when the rights reverted back, Universal picked it up and made it really fast in 2004 with whoever they could get. I was so out of gaming by the turn of the millennium. Was Doom still a thing to people still wanting a movie when it landed in theaters 2005? Yes, because Doom returned. The thing is, like I said, they made Doom and they made Doom 2, which had more monsters, but was the same engine, you know, the same graphics level. And then they leaped it forward with Quake. And Quake fixed one of the things I had a real problem with on the others, which is you could run, you could shoot, but you couldn't jump one foot in the air. Quake fixed that. Quake was the first game to legitimately scare me. I would always play like a cinematic experience. I had surround sound on my computer. I played in a dark room. Stuart, you may remember I tinfoiled my windows so not a drop of sunlight came into my game room. Mm -hmm. And I was playing Quake and the lights went out. It was those big like, and so the lights came off. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, this big effing demon came at me and I just I panicked I just started shooting a pistol like a real person would stuck in one of these movies just no <laughs> I was legitimately panicked by this freaking demon Quake was great but then it was like what do we do next and they talk about this on the bonus features of the DVD they said let's make Doom 3 and they were all worried because Doom was their success. They were scared to go back to the well. They were wondering, would it tarnish the reputation of Doom to make Doom 3? They decided to do like a reboot of it. And so this one was very story driven. If you remember the game Half-Life, neither of you probably do. No. But it was a first person shooter that was really story driven and really fun. They decided to do that. You had to go into data pads. You had to read clues. And you weren't fighting roomfuls of monsters so much as you were fighting a handful of monsters. But they were really tough. And the graphics were so tremendous. I played that so much when it came out. I bought the collector's edition. It was really, really good. It lived up to the name Doom, and it came out in 2004. And the movie Doom is specifically based off Doom 3. Okay, so that's what I was wondering. Because when you were playing Doom, I'm like, so what's the premise? What's going on here? And you're like, yeah, it's another dimension and things are coming at you. I'm like, huh, well... How do you make a game out of that? Reading the book, their influences were what you'd expect. It was Hollywood horror movies and D&D. &D. They were both big role-playing gamers. And 1986, I claim it's a big year. They love it too. Aliens is obviously here. Evil Dead 2 with the demonic possession. And believe it or not, Color of Money 
is where they got the name. I guess that's how Tom Cruise refers to his pool stick in one scene. And they're like, that's badass. We're calling it Doom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had just great titles. Doom, Quake, Unreal. But the movies were influenced to it. Their poor creative director was the one that tried to push a story. He was there saying, you know, we can't just have a mindless shooter. We gotta have this story about scientists on the moon and your best friend gets killed and then you think you're fighting aliens and at some point you realize it's hell and you've opened a portal and there. I mean, this is before Event Horizon. This is before Hellraiser mm-hmm. Bloodline. Mm-hmm. This guy was going there. He got fired. So, <laughs> you know, his, his story didn't come through in the game. It's in there. It's in those text screens. If you read those screens of text that pop up at the beginning of each level, and I know most people just didn't, mm. but I was into them. I was reading them like they were sacred texts. It's in there. Okay. Well, I felt like it wasn't there when I was watching it, but watching this movie, I felt like, hey, someone's finally listening to poor old Tom. But you're saying this is really Doom 3. Yeah. The whole thing with the pinky guy in here who turns into a monster, the pinky monster was a new creature in Doom 3. It kept a lot of the same classic designs, but really up to the reality of it. And it kind of turned them into more aliens, less hell, and more sci-fi, less horror. Yeah, I mean, those original Doom games were really bitmappy, I think is the right word for it. I mean, the closer an enemy would get to you, you'd be looking at a screen full of flesh-colored blocks, you know? (laughs) Yes. I noticed I already played one of the early ones and like, let's upgrade to a different system because they were probably great at the time. Obviously, they were great at the time. Uh, They needed that upgrade. Yeah. Graphically. Yeah, they definitely did. But yet there was just something cool when flaming skulls were flying at you and shrieking. However popular Doom 3 might have been, though, Doom the movie was not. I had just moved to L.A., and I was doing a whole lot of how-to-be-a-screenwriter kind of conventions and meetups and just trying to get myself out there any way that I could. I actually met the co-writer of the script. He was being tallied. The movie had just opened, and he was sitting there grinning, and, like, he had just owned the world because Doom was going to open at number one, and he wrote it. And I was like, no, dude, this is going to kill your career. What do I know? He is, he's writing Wonder Woman 2 right now. So <laughs> clearly he did something right. I'm watching Doom and he's still working. But this landed with a thud. I mean, a real thud. 30 million and internationally only maybe doubled that. The budget was 60 million. I mean, they lost their shirt on this. They did. And I didn't see this in theaters. Wow. And I really liked The Rock. Now, I don't watch pro wrestling, but Marjorie is just an SNL addict. She knows everything to know about it. She's seen every episode, never misses one. And because I was dating her, The Rock hosted in early 2000. And I'm like, oh God, a wrestler? But he was really funny and charismatic. And then in 2002, he hosted again. And I'm like, this guy has got something. I became a fan of The Rock because of his hosting of SNL, and I figured he might have a career outside of wrestling, but he was sticking with the wrestling at that point. And, you know, he transitioned to movies at the end of The Mummy 2 with that really bad Scorpion King, and I'm like, maybe he doesn't have a role in movies after (laughs) all. But I kept my eye on him, and I watched anything he did. I saw The Scorpion King. I saw The Rundown, if you remember that movie with Stifler. 
Yeah, I think Arnold shows up to kind of pass the torch. It was it was just said that this was going to be the new Arnold, and by this point, Arnold was governor. He was not making movies. It was implied that if you liked Arnold, you were going to like The Rock, which made me not want to like The Rock. It was a long time before I ended up seeing him in a movie and realized that, yeah, he has a whole lot more charm than Arnold. I think he's much better than Arnold. And so... I think it might have been one of those Fast and Furious things or Pain and Gain. Not a good movie, but he was good in it. And I, yeah, I saw real potential for him as well. Quick aside, in 99, they were going to make this movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was going to be based on the earlier games, and he was going to just be named Doom Guy. But then a couple of kids tried to reproduce one of the Doom scenes with a chainsaw, and it went horribly wrong, and they just canceled that film. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I would say my relationship with Dwayne Johnson is pretty similar to Arnie's. You know, I I knew him as a wrestler. I don't watch wrestling. He came on SNL a few times. I was like, hey, this guy is actually pretty funny. But in 2005, the fact that he's in a movie called Doom, it did nothing for me. I wasn't rushing out to the theater to see this. Well, I would see anything he did, but the trailers for this looked bad. I mean, I saw Walking Tall. I saw Be Cool. I mean, I would have seen a sequel to Get Shorty anyway, but he was the best part of it. It was a horrible movie. But 2005, 2006, I started to give up on him. Between this and Southland Tales, it was a bad time. But I looked at this and the trailers just it didn't do it for me i knew it was r-rated and that might be the best way to do an ultra-violent video game adaptation this is r-rated yeah mm. and in fact i believe you guys saw the unrated version which is seven minutes longer i watched both the r-rated and the unrated versions so what oh. do we get a couple f-bombs and some boobs Mm, you get some boobs, definitely, and you get some more gore. There was one scene in the R-rated that did feel really chopped up, and the first-person sequence goes on a little longer, and there's a few dialogue scenes you got. Wow, I, I might have needed night vision goggles to see all of this stuff. If you say it's in there, right? This movie is really underlit. It really is. It's like they spent $60 million, not a single one was on a light. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Couldn't see a thing. It looks like they just brought their cell phones to the set and said, everyone, point them at the rock. I'm power-eating carrots trying to get something in the snark. <laughs> it was... I can't see nothing, but it's surprising to me. Uh, hardcore gamers, even a bomb, they should turn out opening weekend. This should have gotten a bigger response i assumed it was people were tired of the game by this point but it's just this smelled bad and no one wanted to go near it i think you need to purge from your head the thought that gamers are going to support a movie based on a game they like that should have gone out the window with <laughs> super mario brothers <laughs> <laughs> yeah good point they like to have the controller they don't like to go to a movie and watch their game on a big screen period yeah it's surprising they keep trying this yeah one is an active pursuit one is very passive although i argue you can be active as a viewer if a movie is intelligent but that does seem to be where the hiccup happens too often I mean, why in the hell are they making a movie of Rampage? We'll talk about that next week with The Rock. But you want to talk about a game no one remembers because it hasn't been made in years. But yeah, Doom was current. I watched this as soon as it came out on video, though. I wanted to see it, but I was not going to subject Marjorie to going to theaters for it. I saw it on video one day and I was like, yep. I was right not to see it <laughs> and my memory coming back and I showed my hand when we reviewed Chun-Li is this was not good. What I didn't remember, I never remember him and it just makes me wonder if he's the most bland actor in all of Hollywood. Carl Urban yet again starring in yet another movie. 
This guy. He's had a stealth career, hasn't he? Yes. I, the word star should not be applied there. He is not a star. I don't care how many giant movies he's been, Lord of the Rings, what have you. He himself either disappears into his roles or just doesn't make an impression as a personality with big screen charisma. I mean, it just, it doesn't come through. I forget him again and again and again. <laughs> And I'm going to forget him as soon as we're done talking about this movie. But I guarantee we'll see him again. This guy. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. The Bourne series, the Star Trek series, the Riddick series, Thor. I mean, God. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's, uh, well, it, one can't blame him if you forget Doom, though. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We'll get through the movie. In the year 2026, during a dig in the Nevada desert... Archaeologists find a portal that transports them to an underground city on Mars. They call that portal the Ark. For two decades, scientists have been studying this Martian city and discovered humanoid remains. But something goes wrong at the station and a distress call goes out. Answering the call is a rapid response team of Marines, led by Sarge, it's all we know him as is Sarge, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And when they get to Mars, they find strange creatures have started to kill and dismember the staff. They also meet Dr. Samantha Grimm, played by Rosamund Pike. She has orders to save the data from the servers at the station. She also happens to be the twin sister of Sergeant John Grimm, known as Reaper and played by Carl Urban. As she gathers the data, she discovers the scientists has secretly been doing human experimentation. Their study showed the Martians had 24 chromosomes as compared to the human 23, and that extra chromosome made them superhuman. The scientists tried injecting prisoners with chromosomes, but instead of becoming superhuman, they turned into monsters. These monsters are on the loose in the station and one by one kill Sarge's men, and Sarge orders his men to operate with extreme prejudice kill all humans as well as all beasts. His surviving men refuse, so he shoots the youngest one in the head, leading to a face-off between Sarge and Reaper. Reaper is shot, so to save his life, Samantha injects him with the 24th chromosome. She realizes the chromosome turns evil people into demonic zombie monsters, but makes pure people superhuman. She knows her brother's spirit is pure, and so he becomes a superhuman killing machine, taking out all the converted demons and ending in a battle against Sarge, who has started to transform into a demon monster. Reaper wins the fight, killing Sarge with a grenade, and he and his sister return to Earth as credits roll. Now, there's a lot of people in this movie, but none of them matter except Sarge, Reaper, and Reaper's sister. So I didn't bother to mention the fact that we're seeing one of my favorite character actors in here, Richard Brake from Kingsman in that bit part, and also from the movie 31. He was also in Batman Begins around the time of Doom. This guy, he's just a good character actor. Ah, but here he's playing an over-the-top, obnoxious, funny guy. He is. I like his funny guy, though. At least his character has personality. He's playing Portman in this movie, and honestly, he's the only one I could really tell apart from the others because he would have funny lines. He's the kind of military presence I like on the screen. He's pretty much the Bill Paxton of the group, only a much creepier-looking Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, actually, with his gap tooth and things, looked harmless. Yeah, let's just call it out. I'm a big Aliens fan. I think many 
many people are. The gamers were. They used it as a model for Doom. So if they're going to go back to it and just say, we're giving you a B-movie version of the James Cameron film, it's been nearly 20 years since it came out. I guess it stands for an update. I'm not going to be mad about that. They are slavishly copying James Cameron's aliens to fill in the blanks for Doom the movie. And I would say at least there is some structure there to carry the film. It's a movie I like. I'm not going to complain that this movie is derivative. But it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's very much so. I mean, every character trope is there. You know, but at this point, I'm getting alien vibes. I'm not quite sure that's where we're going so far. But I am enjoying the set design. It does feel like I'm in the hallways of the Doom video game right from the get-go. You know, we're getting almost that first-person point of view, looking down a hallway, turning corners, not quite sure what's going to pop out next. So, in a series where we're talking about games inspired by movies and all that, at least they're setting the tone early here and making me feel like I might be watching a video game. They kind of tip their hat. They do something that Cameron shot and then didn't use in the final cut of Aliens. They go to the colony first. We see a few attacks. We even kind of see a claw. We know that there's monsters. If you didn't play the game, it's just called Doom. You might not expect that. But here, a bunch of nameless scientists are running down a hall and being grabbed, pulled under, pulled up. And one guy calls for help and says, we're under quarantine. We're told this is a Mars base that has about... 80 people on it, I'm thinking, wow, when they get there, it's going to be overrun. They get there and everyone's waiting for them in the foyer. (laughs) It's just six scientists down the hall in a locked room. I'm like, you need to call the Marines for this? Well, I just want to say during the scientist scene, yeah, there's a pretty cool scene where a door cuts off an arm, but... Right away, I think they're teasing us. We see the hands of the demons, but it's all in dark shadow. I think, okay, they're going to make us wait for the reveal. I'm still waiting for the reveal. (laughs) They never come out of the shadows. This is some Stan Winston makeup, and it is completely wasted. Now, it's Stan Winston's crew. Stan Winston himself didn't show up, but it's his team, and... We never get the glory of seeing the monsters that I have seen in so many games. I wanted to see them on screen. We get a couple glimpses at the end, but they keep to shadow. This movie, it's hard to tell the people apart. It's hard to tell the aliens apart. It's hard to tell what's going on. I didn't know if I needed to turn the brightness up on my projector for it. Yeah, again, aliens, you don't know the names of all the Marines. You do not. Even now, there's probably some I don't know. But you get their personalities. They're wisecracking. You'll like them as a team and you feel bad for them because you know they think they're tougher than they're actually going to be once they face the xenomorph. Here, I'm really judgmental that The Rock can't get six mutant scientists under control. They like shoot three right away. I'm like, this should be easy for you. You're a very bad outfit if you can't take down this problem. They outnumber the mutant scientists. Yeah, but even at this point, they don't know what they're facing. They, they have no idea what's happening. They're going into the situation blind. They know that people are dead and screaming. They have a, a videotape of one scientist saying, we're in trouble. And they have this other scientist. I guess it's the Sigourney Weaver of this story. She kind of shares duties with Carl Urban because they're twins. But she's the one that 
I don't know. Does Samantha know more than she's letting on? I don't think she does. Upon watching both cuts and really looking at it, I think she believes that she needs to save the data, but she also believed... She's selling me on the scene where she's like, we weren't supposed to be doing human experimentation. We said we'd never do human experimentation. I think she's learning with them about that. But I'll agree with you, Stuart, in that this is a bad team of... Marines, because they are so indistinct. I kept trying to figure out what we have. I mean, Portman, I said he's the sleazy one because he was about to go on leave with three she-boys. Yeah, he's evil. He's passing out drugs. They Literally, we will find out that he turns demonic because his soul or his essence is at heart evil. I kind of have trouble with this premise, but that's what they're going to say is that this chromosome that's going to be causing all the mutation will decide will judge your soul and if you're evil you're going to get claws and fangs and turn into a character from the video game and most people are evil is one thing i mean very few people aren't going to turn into those demons so by saying portman is evil well most of the people here are evil as all but one will turn into evil zombies well they're all scientists i feel like there's a very anti-science being promoted here i'm talking about the (laughs) marines Well, no, most of them just get killed. Yeah, a lot of them just die. You've got the rookie, he just dies, he never turns. Yeah, yeah. But we get Goat, this religious guy named Goat, who has to cut his own arm for saying God damn and taking the Lord's name in vain. The most spiritual of all of them, he turns into an evil zombie. Yeah, that is perplexing. And I think that there were a couple different ideas going on here. There are two credited screenwriters. We know that this was a story they developed for years and years with different drafts. Wesley Strick, an experienced Hollywood writer, Cape Fear, Ractophobia, Wolf. Maybe not great films, but he had a long (laughs) track record at this point of working in Hollywood as a script doctor. You had me on two and then you lost me on The Wolf. Dave Callahan is new. I think he was a fan of the game. This was his first produced one. He'd go on to do Expendables, Godzilla 2014. But I think they have different conceptions about how this works. And I think that there are many times where I'm like, they're going down this path and then they just decide to drop that. They just stop with that storyline entirely. And there's so many ways to make this more interesting than they do. I mean, you can heighten the tension a million ways to Sunday and get a better movie out of this than what they do. Yeah, the Marines get there very quickly. We are not given much time to learn the characters, which is part of the reason I feel like I can't tell Mac from Goat when they get to the underlit sets. And I know Destroyer is a giant guy and Duke has kind of an LL Cool J vibe if they could have gotten him into Prague where they shot this. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, I was feeling that for sure. And I don't know much about Reaper either, other than I think he's the serious one, because while everyone else is preparing to go on leave, he's cleaning his gun. So I'm guessing he's like the hard-nosed one. But then what's Sarge? Sarge is the hard-nosed one. Man, if there's one thing this movie does, is it teleports any charisma The Rock has in every other role, and it leaves it on Earth while he goes to Mars. Because, my God, he is so not fun in this movie. Well, he's so early on in his movie career, I don't even know how they presented him as a wrestler. I assumed he was a lovable Hulk Hogan type. Uh, I think he was a bad guy. Oh, was he a bad guy? Okay. I don't know how they positioned him, but it seems like he's miscast. I would actually flip it. Carl Urban should probably be the villain, and The Rock probably should be the guy we're rooting for. 
I don't think I'd buy him as the twin of Rosamund Pike. They'd have to recast her too. But I definitely feel like this movie would be on stronger footing if The Rock, since we know and like him, is the hero of this film. It takes me a long time to realize we're supposed to like Carl Urban. I actually will argue with you that the only thing this movie does right is trick me into thinking The Rock is the good guy and not realizing Carl Urban's the hero. Because I see The Rock in a movie, I think The Rock's going to be the hero, especially even at that time. Again, Walking Tall in those other movies, even The Scorpion King, he was a hero of sorts. That's the only thing I can credit this movie is I didn't see it coming that The Rock was a bad guy. But The Rock was offered Carl Urban's role. Mm -hmm. He turned it down. He's like, I find this role to be far more interesting. I think that's the only thing this movie has going for it, though. I mean, Justin, did you see that twist? I didn't. I kind of went down the same path of thought you did there. I was like, well, maybe in 2005, The Rock wasn't quite the name, and it's not that big of a deal. I'm making more of this because of I know who he is now 13 years on. But no, you're right. He was a big enough name that that would have been surprising to audiences at the time as well. It's like, oh, wow, The Rock, you know, has a turn here, and Carl Urban is our hero, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a Hitchcockian-like twist. I wouldn't blow it out of proportion. (laughs) Because you didn't see it coming does not make it Hitchcock. I will say this, what I definitely didn't see coming, they teased the fact that Carl Urban should stay behind, take the leave, don't go to Mars, because there's something in his past that happened there. His parents died there, and this woman from his past 10 years ago is there. Fraternal twin? I've never seen that play out. I would assume and spent much of this movie writing, oh, his ex-wife is here. And then I'm like, wait, she really is his sister? When I saw the R-rated cut, they cut the scene where she says that they were twins. And so I was mistaken. I missed the dropped line. One time he says, she's my sister. It wasn't for halfway through the movie that I realized that it wasn't an ex-wife, that it was a sister. The unrated cut makes that much more clear, but... Yeah, it's weird that they do go the sibling route instead of the ex-wife route. It's remarkably unformulaic. It takes Rosamund Pike off the table for being the romantic foil, although Duke does hit on her. It's the reason why he's hanging out with her. She's doing autopsies. It's just not usually explored in this kind of movie, the relationships between fraternal twins. I just, what a strange choice that ends up being. And it's not like it's representing a theme of duality, the male and the female, the bad and the good. I mean, I'm really reaching here, but I don't think this movie has themes beyond shoot things means good. I mean, talk about The Rock's turn. It's unmotivated, right? This does not have a reason. He comes in and he's leading this team of Marines. Nothing makes him go crazy, right? There's no Apocalypse Now moment in this. He just turns. Well, they try to give it a little exposition where he feels like he's doing his job because he's more of a company man than Carl Urban turns out to be. Carl Urban understands that his job is to kill people sometimes and protect people, but we're to believe that Sarge is straight up working for the corporation. I think they even say the corporation in this movie. I think that's as thin as it's going to be cut and have any kind of weight behind it. And if you're remaking Alien, you need a Burke. Somebody's got to do the Paul Reiser part. Again, I talk about a lot of detritus in this film of just like ideas presented and then completely thrown away. When they first get to Nevada, they meet this nerdy, bespeckled guy, Sanford Crosby, and we never see him again. He has one introductory scene. He says, hi, and The Rock's like, I don't like that guy. We never see him again. I'm betting in some draft, he's the guy that's trying to get the mutants back safely, smuggling them back to Earth. Because a big part of the power play is we can't let the infected get off Mars. 
Mars. And so somebody's got to play that role. And in rewriting, that sort of becomes The Rock, I guess, because he wants to protect the data and the others want to bury the secret on Mars. They also play with the idea that they could get marooned there. Much of the things that they fight in the dark are very wimpy and go down with their bullets very easily, but there's some big thing that I think is the converted prisoner, the original infected, who barrels his way all the way back to Earth, chasing the guy at the wheelchair with him. I think there must have been some draft where he did use that grenade that The Rock told him to use, and they blew up the Ark, and they were marooned there, hence why it matters that Portman called for backup. Because if you remember, there's this whole scene where Portman calls people that never show up to rescue them off Mars. And this is pretty early on, as they get there and they realize they're dealing with, you know, Portman goes in and says, what do you bet it's a disgruntled worker with a gun? Thinking that somebody just went postal. And then they get there and they find it's demons. And the demons are really bad. And Goat gets killed and comes back as a zombie. And Portman, despite being the sleazeball, despite being played by a guy who's almost always a criminal, despite all of this, he says to Sarge, hey, operating procedure is, we call for backup. We should follow procedure. This is not how you do things. And Sarge is like, we are the backup. I don't need no blah, 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 blah. So right there already, The Rock is breaking procedure and being a dick about it. So Portman does the right thing by going off on his own, saying he has to use the bathroom and calling for backup. But backup never comes. Nothing comes of it other than he gets attacked while trying to call for backup. So, like, doing what you're supposed to do is bad. If you look at aliens, at a certain point, their ship that they use to fly back to the ship hovering above the planet is wrecked by an alien attack. And they're marooned there and they have to figure another way off. I think that that scenario in somebody's draft was that way. And then the other screenwriter said, but no, the real threat is we don't want the Ark to be shut down. We want to have that open because it's really scary to think it could get all the way back to Earth. Yeah, you're right, Stuart. This feels very much like a tug of war between somebody actually trying to make a dedicated remake of Alien and somebody trying to rein them back in the whole time. And it is telling that The Rock says he's supposed to retrieve the company property, and yet all they're retrieving is data. When you say property, I could see that as meaning maybe the 24th chromosome. Maybe it's as simple as that. You are right. I'm going to compliment this movie. It looks like the game. The barrels, the layout, and all of that. But someone explained to me. I get that they're in quarantine, that something went wrong with this chromosome thing. Did something happen to the lights? (laughs) Is there some reason why they don't have lights? Well, and why does this scientific facility that's supposed to be clean everywhere have hallways that are dirty and rusty and dripping water this just happened an hour ago (laughs) things shouldn't be in this you know much disarray there's no logical reason for it to be like the game yet like everyone's alive and in the foyer and they just get evacuated and it's just one little area with six infected scientists and they should just have the power hell they should have a button that just ejects them out into (laughs) mars and they die they shouldn't even need marines like a Roomba could sweep (laughs) away this problem. Well, as far as the layout goes, they didn't build this base. 
This is a really old Martian base, so the fact that it's in disarray and looks like the game, I took as because this is centuries old. It has undergone some retrofitting, apparently not for light bulbs, right? but for scientific labs so that the modern day humans could be here. But what we'll find out is there were people living on Mars, and they discovered this 24th chromosome. Well, there were Martians on Mars. Humans came second, is the way that I took it. But they found remains of people who were original Martians that looked pretty much humanoid. They find the remains and call her Lucy. Right. Which is confusing because that's also the name we use for some of the early man. Again, I think we're supposed to think of this woman and her child found fossilized as a precursor to mankind. That life started on Earth. Because the people in Mars couldn't hack it when some of them turned demon. Right. That's how I take it is life started on Mars. They discovered this 24th chromosome that made some of them super. Right. But it made the evil ones demonic. And so the demons started killing everyone. So the Martians built the Ark to go to this unpopulated planet. Maybe there were some dinosaurs on it or something. But man came to Earth, not Adam and Eve, not out of primordial ooze, but out of an ark in Arizona. And to run away from some monsters they couldn't contain. Like, we're trapped, the demons are coming, so we're going to invent a scientific device to teleport us to another world. And that's, <laughs> I, couldn't you invent a gun? Like, I just don't get it. And they have superhero strength and stuff. Like, they can fight just as well as these demons can. But there were more evil people than good. But I love the fact that we meet Pinky. And in the unrated version, we actually get to see what happened to his legs. In the rated version, we don't. But it sounds like the Ark is something that the corporation made because it screwed up. And his ass went someplace else and his torso went where it's supposed to go. But yet this technology, they don't understand it. So they just somehow fire up this old Martian gateway and now it's safer than when Pinky got bisected. But he's living, his bottom half is a Segway and his top half is a man. Okay, that's the setup. I'll go with it. That's what was going on in Mars. But Samantha is wrong to have gone back and started digging again. That we have in dialogue and in some sound effects, the understanding that the parents were the original people that excavated this, but they died somehow not important. And she shouldn't be digging around and finishing their work because like they're dead. Yeah, I got the impression from the sound effects you're speaking of is that he had something to do with it. You know, that Carl Urban was messing around someplace where he shouldn't be and thus caused his parents to come after him and then they died because of an avalanche or a rock cave in or maybe a monster got him. But there, there was some screaming afterwards. Carl Urban gives a lot of weird looks in this. When they're taking the elevator down, he looks up and we see him descend. And then there's a scene where he's literally looking out a window and having some kind of memory of his parents and dying and somebody else just comes in and closes the blinds on him. It's like, I wish that was more explained. Why shouldn't she be digging? What happened to the parents? Again, there's draft A and there's draft B. Screenwriter A, screenwriter B. Somebody had very clear ideas about what the work was and probably 
probably saw it in some kind of Adam and Eve with her being a woman and him being a man and the first one's there. There's some kind of temptation, the snake, something or other, fall of Eden that some writer probably had all worked out and then someone else came in and gutted it and said, we got to go to Earth and make the climax there. I'm not necessarily going to buy that the second writer was so incompetent as to leave these hanging threads so much as I'm going to wonder if the movie dragged like hell and they cut it for pacing reasons. They filmed it and things would have made more sense. But somebody watched and is like, there's way too much talky scenes. We need to go back into the darkness and pretend there's something there that we're shooting at. Yeah, I mean, at this rate, there's way too many talky scenes as it is. These scenes linger well after whatever it is they're trying to convey has been relayed. Many times, during a scene, I'd be like, okay, I get it. Are you repeating yourself now? Or are we just going to look at each other for another 30 seconds before we move on? Or, or what's happening here? Yeah, there are many, many scenes of people sneaking around in this dark. Again, you can't even see anything. And then it's a false alarm. Like, oh, boo, you know, it's everything but the cat jumping out kind of thing. There's just <laughs> nothing's really happening. And they just really keep savoring the idea that they're not monsters from Mars. They're the scientists that mutated. Like, they hit that one at least four times, starting with the evil doctor who sent the message. I thought he'd be the big boss, but he's the first one they find. He rips off his ear, and then he gets stuck in some nano door. What's a nano door? Is that from the game? I don't remember it from the game. No. What is the point of inventing technology you don't use for anything other than... I guess it makes a good shield. They can fire through it later and shoot the monsters, and the monsters can't get through the door, but... I mean, it makes sense from a cool kind of visual stand. I've never seen anything like that where somebody gets halfway frozen between two doors or whatnot. But I like to judge movies like this by the technology that they take from the real world and then try to extrapolate into the future. And early on in the movie, one of the Marines is playing with a game console. You know, in 2005, they thought going forward, this is what a game thing would be like. It's like, ah, come on, that thing is really clunky, really square, really bright. Nothing like, you know, the super thin touchscreens of today. I thought that maybe was his character. It was that guy, Duke, and he he had like a handheld Galaxian 2. I don't... Was that a real game? Not that I remember. I can't remember Galaxian. Sorry, apologies if that is a real game. But I assume that they were writing into his character that he liked retro games and that he would eventually maybe teach them how to play Doom in this hallway. But again, so many thrown away ideas. So many times where things were leading somewhere and then... And they don't. That main scientist, Carmack, ends up doing nothing. Like, for all the where's Carmack and all of that, it just basically comes down to, well, he videotaped his experiments, and we can see by looking at the computer monitor how this all started. They took prisoners, who are, of course, evil, injected them with the same chromosome that the Martians had, and in 48 minutes, they had monster claws and were attacking people. Was it ever overtly said that they were trying to create a super soldier or what they were doing? Or were they just experimenting on people because they found this 24th chromosome and wanted to see what would happen? I think that they were impressed with the idea that this was a civilization that didn't have disease. They, For whatever reason, the research led them to believe that they were super powerful. You know, that the 24th chromosome gave them such great abilities it was a mystery why they died out. And so maybe they didn't put one and one together to make two and said, we should start injecting ourselves with the 24th chromosome. Yeah, that's what I take as well. But they chose prisoners. They brought criminals, murderers to 
tested on, which is why they only made demons, it turns out, is because we have this thing about spirituality and the what's inside of you matters. And yeah, if you're an evil person, you're going to be turned into some kind of... You start as a zombie. I think you come back as a zombie human, but you eventually mutate into one of the baddies from the game. And I'm going to say not enough baddies from the game. The game had so many monster designs and things. And here, we basically get three different monsters plus zombies. You got your standard walker, you've got your bigger guy, and we've got Pinky later on. And that's it. And not high volumes of them either. Not only are they not varied in design, and not only can you not see them, but again, there's more marines than there are monsters. And that's just, you're just popping the balloon here. The suspense is just seeping out by making that choice. You're judging these tough guys for not being able to contain this problem. But it's a zombie film. The bad guys multiply and the good guys dwindle. But they don't. They actually never do. They kill most of them very easily. And there's just one running around in the dark that somehow just chases the guy in the wheelchair back to Earth. And that's how they do it. That's how they end up writing it. I have to believe at some point there was an idea to blow up the Ark, keep these people here, and tell a different story about the excavation. I will give them a little bit of credit here because it's not like all this information is just laid out and then we follow the action. I mean, we slowly learn, even though we might be ahead of the story itself by watching this, the way they're laying it out for us is they're letting us know that oh, geez, these things that they're fighting aren't actually aliens. It's the scientists turned bad. Oh, and that's happening to our guys who we thought were dead now. You know, that all doesn't just pop up all at once. It's kind of laid out throughout the story. Is it working? I don't know. But at least there's some effort to make a mystery behind what's going on. I would love to explore that mystery. I realize this movie is boring and taking too long, but the problem is not that it's too long. It's only 100 minutes long. It's what you would expect a Doom movie to reach. It's that it doesn't offer a whole lot of anything. It doesn't give you intense action like the game. It doesn't give you a million monsters running at you. The numbers are quite small, and they don't have a whole lot of explanation, even once they break out the scientist here, and she's going to give her explanation for this sort of pseudo-Christian science idea of heaven and hell and good and evil. I mean, I could have really dug that if they really explored a scientific basis for how evil gets into your body. You're going the exact opposite direction from me. This is doom. Give me monsters and shoot them. Gut people. Get a chainsaw and kill people. We have to wait till the very end of the movie to get to this kind of stuff. I don't want an exploration of good and evil and Gaia in a Doom movie. What I want is demons and monsters and badasses being killed and one guy who is the hero, who is our avatar. The fact that we have The Rock just becoming an asshole for no real reason. The fact that Carl Urban becomes the sensitive guy and we have all of this going on, all of this talking in dim lights, I can't tell the Marines apart because it's so dark. Every time somebody gets attacked, I'm like, all right, which one was that? At one point, Portman falls under the water and I'm like, wait, was that Goat? The first time I watched it, I thought Goat was Portman. I thought they had the same name. I mean, Reaper is Grim. Grim Reaper. I just got that. So, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just wishing we had more action. You say this movie isn't long. 
it feels it because nothing happens. I don't need to watch an autopsy in real time as she pulls out the heart, the spleen, and the liver to realize the person had an appendectomy. No, you're not wrong for wanting intense action, but this story is predicated on the idea of whether our main character is a good person or a bad person. He's lived as a Marine and he's killed a lot of people and maybe he involuntarily led to the death of his parents. He has a lot of self-judgment and finding out whether he's good or not by getting this 24th chromosome, that should matter. We should know why and how people are defined as good. If that is what you're going with, if that's the root of the monster, if the alien manifests itself in your soul and not in your stomach, then that's cool. But explain that. That would be at least something new and fresh and different in a movie that is all derivative. And yes, and then throwing in the action too. Yeah, sure. Throw out the existential question of is evil inherent within all of us or something like that. Even if you're not going to answer it, give it a little bit more than just some lip service and knowing in her heart that, that Grimm is good. I guess maybe that's where the paternal twin comes in to a certain degree, but most of this just feels lazy. Most of the things we're seeing happen on screen when it's more than one character in a room is just to make them feel human enough that we're supposed to feel something when they die. All of these are director problems. I'm going to, you know, we've talked a lot about the script having different ideas. It's the director's job to synthesize them. It's the director's job to make these scenes exciting. And boy, I know Chun-Li was awful. This is better than that. But I don't know that it's that much more gripping in terms of action. He was lucky to film Jet Li early in his life who gave him the glow of being an action director. But this guy cannot make things pop off the screen. Pop off the screen. I can't even see them on the screen. You yeah, can't put it? anything in the screen. Yeah, Goat at one point is like, my light's not working. I'm like, oh yeah, none of them are. If you find a light, please turn it on. But let's jump to the moment where they go back to Earth because Pinky's disappeared and they think the monster has gone to Earth, but they're still sealed in quarantine underground in the Ark complex. Yeah, that's really garbled, by the way. Yeah, they ran to Earth, but they have a quarantine that'll last an hour, but you can't extend that quarantine. Even if there's an infection, the doors are going to open in an hour. I mean, this is screenwriters battling one another for control. Well, and the two facilities should feel different. I understand they're built by the same people in this world or whatever, but Earth should feel different than Mars, at least in the reception area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when they get there, because of the short time, Sarge says, kill everyone, human or not, kill everyone. The kid, the rookie, finds a room full of women and children, not a guy among them, just women and children huddled in fear. He won't kill them. And so he goes back and tells Sarge, I won't do it. So Sarge shoots him in the head and calls him a mutineer. It's worth pointing out too, infection doesn't just happen from breathing the same air. It's not like it's contagious like the cold or the flu. These things have to spit out a tongue that hits you right at the right point in the neck. So like you can tell who's infected and not. And there, since there's only one creature, I just don't know why they would think everyone here would be infected. But Sarge is stupid and Sarge is meant to reflect a jingoistic military mind that can only kill. And yeah, they've just rewritten him. This is not the character that began the movie, but it's the one that's going to be a suitable villain for the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a problem with a really simple solution. It's like, oh, okay, we've seen how this happens now. The tongue pops out of their mouth and attaches to their neck. 
and then they slowly turn. And only at the evil. Yeah, I mean, she's shown that, like, she took the, some of the dead soldiers and wiggled the tongue by it and not going for them. So, yep. <laughs> so hey, everybody without an open neck wound, let's go through the portal, and we're going to lock this down, and we're going to forget about Mars for a few decades. Right, but it's just very convenient for them to say, nope, Sarge is evil, and we're going to concentrate on that battle because, well, we want to see The Rock fight. He's a wrestler, so this needs to be one-on-one with him and, I guess, Carl Urban. So after The Rock shoots the kid, we really think we're going to get our showdown with Grimm and Sarge. It's looking that way, but they're interrupted by a horde of zombies. They kill everybody except Grimm and Sarge, and it looks like they kill Sarge. He's dragged away. There's this massive firefight. I barely see it, but Carl Urban runs through that wall and is shooting at the zombies. The wall becomes solid again, and I guess one of his own bullets ricochets and hits him in the gut, and he's gonna die from this, and Samantha has to make a choice about injecting John with the 24th chromosome. And Arnie, I don't know, because Carl Urban is like, I'm looking at anything else but him on screen. He has that magical repulsion <laughs> power where I'm like, I'm staring at Rosamund Pike's hair. I'm looking at the floor. I'm looking at a barrel before I'm seeing what Carl Urban is doing on the screen. <laughs> and so I don't mind when he goes off the screen. Yeah, because his sister is so sure he's pure, even though his name is Grim Reaper. She's so sure that she knows her brother, from whom she's been estranged since childhood. They're all on Earth. Mm -hmm. She's going to take the risk of turning him into one of those demons. But instead, she makes him superhuman, and we get to watch somebody play the game. (laughs) Best scene in the movie. I mean, it's a dicey gimmick. I want to point out, it's been around for a while. There was a Philip Marlowe movie from 1946, Lady of the Lake, where the whole time, Philip Marlowe is the camera and it's walking around first person. There was an art movie, 2009, Enter the Void, where a man has a fatal OD, goes to the afterlife and gets reincarnated. You see it through his perspective. And most recently, Charlotte Copley did it in Hardcore Henry. It was a movie out last year I didn't see but they did it the entire movie long I wonder if could we have accepted doing the movie if the whole thing was done this knowing that found footage and people walking around with cameras would become a thing the decade this came out why couldn't they just make this from the point of view of one soldier walking around I think they could have. Again, the movie Maniac was really well done. Yeah. So I think you could have done it but I almost feel it's too arty. It's too much for the video game crowd. It might be a leap too far for a movie you're spending 60 million to make. And even just from the visual standpoint here, I got sick of this real quick. I mean, you get the idea pretty quick on what they're doing here. It's like, okay, I get it. Your gimmick's here. Let's get through it. You know, I mean, there's a few jump scares in there or whatnot, but for the most part, I couldn't watch much more of this particular action. I suppose they could uh, intercut it with a few memories or, you know, maybe the point of view character that we're in the head of. Maybe he has something on their wrist that we can watch old videos to get other information. But yeah, a full movie of this, I couldn't sit through it. I didn't see Hardcore Henry. I know they did it in that movie. And I know that movie's not particularly 
popular. And it would be curious to see someone try. I'm up for it. I don't think it would save this particular movie, but I did like the sequence. I did think it's about 10 minutes long, at least in the cut that I saw. And, uh, you know, it was more energizing than anything I had seen before or since in this movie. Agreed. And I could actually see aliens because it was a first person view and there was so much gunfire with gun flare that it illuminated the villains. It's the best view you have. And I'll admit it does get tiresome. I think it was around six minutes or something in the unrated cut, but I just, I had all I could take of it by the end, but I love that he got the chainsaw. I mean, that was a nice nod to the game and he just chainsaws somebody. I wish he wasn't necessarily a super human during it because I don't feel superhuman when I played the game. I felt like a human fighting zombies and demons, but no, I liked this turn. I liked the fact that they went here with it. It was fun. Yeah, and you get to find out what happened to Pinky. He was grabbed and we see him as this little white creature still attached to his wheelchair. That was kind of fun. And the whole reason he had that wheelchair is because Pinky in Doom 3 had like mechanical back legs. It's always weird to me that Doom, the demons are always a mixture of biomechanical. Like they'll look like the cover of an Ozzy Osbourne album, but then they have an arm that's a metal gun. And so Pinky was this big slug-like demon that came after you and was hard to kill because he was big. Oh, so gamers would have already known that Pinky was fated for this. Yeah. Okay. Because it was the Pinky demon. No, I didn't expect it out of I mean, he was in a wheelchair. I've seen him in slasher movies. I knew his odds weren't good. But again, I had fun for 10 minutes in this movie. And that was nice to have because I hadn't had it before or since. Now that we're getting the showdown, they finally get back to Carl Urban being on the screen. He finds his sister and he finds Sarge who has fully turned. We thought or at least I thought maybe Rock was dead because he got dragged away saying, I can't be dead. Nope. You still gotta deliver the climax as a demon. So now we've got Super Grim and he's facing off against Sarge and we must mention that the Rock got the BFG. Which, of course, the BFG 9000 was the gun everyone wanted when you played Doom. And everyone wondered what it stood for. Everybody always said it's big fucking gun. Bioforce is what they say in the movie. I don't know if that was just invented to cover for big fucking gun. It was, yes, I'm sure. (laughs) And so he's got the BFG 9000, which is the gun that just mows down the bad guys as long as you can keep the ammo stocked. And they have this nice friendly conversation. How many bullets you got? Half a clip, you, one shot. And The Rock's makeup at the end, I gotta give it this. It looked so good I didn't realize it was The Rock. When he turns all demonic, I actually thought they might have brought in a stunt double or something. It is that transformative. And then they're out of ammo, so hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, and this is where the movie, I hate to say gets hokey because it's been crossing that line back and forth all evening but the wire work here where both these guys are super soldiered up and doing super jumps is just not coming off very well no the rock is not particularly believable as someone who can leap buildings in a single bound or i did kind of like that he he makes brass knuckles by ripping off a stairwell and wrapping around his fist but the combat again maybe it's the directing they're just not getting anything out of these fights the only thing that's adrenalizing was that POV Doom stuff. 
Yeah, why not play to The Rock's strengths? I thought for sure when I saw them going hand-to-hand that we'd get his wrestling moves. There's one point where he picks up Carl Urban and spins, but really, like Justin said, they start pulling out some cheap-ass wire foo, and that is not The Rock's forte at this point. Now, you say jump over buildings in a single bound. I think he's still going to play Black Adam, so we're going to see him as a form of Superman, and he will be doing that stuff. But at this point, I just think you get him doing some mano a mano with Carl Urban, where you know The Rock has the advantage, so Carl Urban's going to have to pull something out in order to survive this. Yeah, I guess what they do come up with is somewhat satisfying, even though I thought maybe they would use the arc to cut him in half, but he fully gets sucked through. Yeah! Why don't they use the arc to cut him in half like Pinky got cut in half? That would be so much better. Yeah, I don't even know what we're supposed to be rooting for at this point. I'm not needing for Carl Urban to get away, honestly. I'm not even feeling that. That he's going to end up grabbing his sister, going in the elevator, and then inexplicably saying, One last time. What's he even talking about? (laughs) (laughs) That must have been something cut. Again, that must have been some screenwriter had a scene of them as children going in an elevator, probably when the parents died. And without that to reveal what he's talking about, I was shocked that the movie ended at this point. I was like, that's it? We're not going to find out anything else? Yeah, I couldn't believe how fast the movie ended after blowing up The Rock. I mean, there's still the chromosome. There might still even be demons in Mars. I mean, they were mowing down hordes of them by the time they got back here. They're going up to the surface. I'm not convinced that this station is clean of monsters. This movie might as well come up with just Game Over as some Nine Inch Nails remix plays. Trent Reznor was involved in their games, right? He did a voice in Quake? He did the music for Quake, and they actually released a soundtrack for it. So Mm -hmm. they kind of had to get him. They they used, for most of the score, it's Clint Manziel, who very memorably, I'll always remember him for the Requiem for a Dream soundtrack. He used to be in the band Pop Will Eat Itself. Seems like a good choice here. I just wish he had more opportunity to rock out. I think the score in this is great. With the electric guitars, it conveys an energy that the camera never has. Yep. I agree. It works for what it's supposed to be doing, for sure. Yeah, the soundtrack's better than the movie. So, Justin Stewart, would you recommend Doom? Justin. Uh, this may be the most fan service video game movie we've come across so far. If it was in one of the games, you're going to see it on screen here. Knowing Doom really didn't come from a story background... Coming into this, I wasn't expecting, you know, okay, you've got to hit this beat, you've got to hit this beat, you got to make sure you're talking about this guy or that guy. There's none of that. I mean, Doom is hop into these hallways and start killing the ugly mutants in front of you. Okay, great. They've got all that. And somehow they took a pretty easy story to tell and made it boring. I was bored through most of this movie. And The Rock, like you said, Arnie, has charisma. He's a charismatic guy who can carry a movie. He's not doing it here. I like Carl Urban. He's fine. He's not my favorite actor, but he's not somebody I look at and think, oh, he's going to ruin this movie for me. I really enjoyed Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl. I thought she gave a great performance there. Here, she's not given much to do other than look confused and mad most of the time. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a huge fan of Doom and you've never seen this, I suppose you can fast forward to the 10 minutes of Doom footage at the end, but I'm not putting this back in the console to play again. Stuart? The nicest thing I can say is that it won't break your heart. I mean, if you love the game, it won't destroy you the way that lovers of Double Dragon and Street Fighter might feel watching their movie adaptations. At the very basic level, it succeeds in visualizing gameplay. 
and call it fan service, call it what you want. I think that that is a high bar. So far in this series, the movies that have been the best have been the ones that have gone to the game for their visual ideas. The Jolie Tomb Raiders and this kind of looked and felt like what you would experience playing the game. And that's far more successful than Mario, Double Dragon, Street Fighters. That said, it's a poor Aliens ripoff that they've made a million different ways and just has very little of its own identity to recommend. There is just not enough ideas here to sustain the video game action. The movie isn't too long. It just spends too much time on banal scenarios. And so I just can't think of who would be entertained by this movie. It's a red arrow, but in this series, it's one of the better ones. Yeah, Justin, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I feel like I do love Doom the games, and I definitely was much more into them even when I saw this movie the first time than now. I felt like I was a fan, and I don't feel serviced. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it does have a lot of nods to the game. Id Studios was involved. They approved drafts of the script, and they made sure that their property wasn't completely obliterated. But I think that this movie's boredom... If Doom the Game was as exciting as Doom the Movie, I would have never gone past the shareware. I would have gotten bored and not even beaten level one. This is a slog. It feels underfunded. I am shocked that they had 60 million and filmed in Prague. Because in Prague, 60 million is like 120 million here. Here's what they're not saying. I read that figure too. I can guarantee you all of that went to earlier drafts, earlier ideas, stars that probably were committed to it and then they paid without doing the movie. That 60 million is not up on the screen. That is a $10 million movie with a $60 million price tag. Seriously, Super Mario Brothers had more visual panache. Yeah, and it was 10 million less. Mm-hmm. It's New York was more impressive than any of these corridors. Now, I realize all they had to do was reproduce the game, but that game doesn't just have a whole lot of talking and falling into puddles and autopsies. That game has you go into rooms and light goes out and demons attack you, and I wanted more of that, and I definitely wanted a big boss battle. If it's going to be The Rock turn him into one of the big baddies from the game. You know, turn him into the giant horned creature with the metal arm or something. I mean, I don't expect this movie to go full-on Doom 2 ending where you're literally battling Satan, but I wanted something more than this. It's a really solid Red Arrow, and yet I still feel it's one of the better movies we've reviewed. Damn! (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you there. It's on the upper end of this, which is just going to show that it's really hard to make a video game into a satisfying narrative film. That was the best thing I can say about this movie, is it wasn't as bad as I remembered. But it was still bad. Yeah, it's bad. They're all bad. (laughs) This is a bad series, (laughs) and I don't want any more. I don't want a sequel. I don't want a reboot. I'll tell you one thing I will do. After 23 years debuting on computer consoles, Doom is finally a board game. And I'm really into that right now. I really enjoy <laughs> tabletops and stuff. That you can, One player is playing the demons, and then you can take up to four other people playing Marines wandering into rooms. And it's getting good reviews. That I would play. That I would continue to do. And certainly the VR Doom, I celebrate. But this is just not a property that needs to find its way back to narrative storytelling. No, I agree. If you want a really good first-person scene where you're going around and seeing things shot and chainsaw, 
Sod, buy the VR helmet for PlayStation. That is so much better than the five-minute scene in this movie of that. When you're actually moving around yourself, and I just upgraded, Stuart. We can play it again. I bought the blaster accessory, so you're actually holding a gun now. Nice. <laughs> that sounds like fun. It is. It is incredible fun. Strong recommend for Doom the VR experience. Not recommend for Doom the movie. But you know what? There's enough in Doom. That if they decided to remake it and learn from the mistakes of the past, and come on, it's been 13 years, I'd be open to seeing what they could do. I'd be interested because I do think Doom has always been a game high on action, short on story. They fixed it a bit with the last couple, but I would think a movie set in the Doom universe would be interesting. I don't want to see animes or direct-to-video like they did with Starship Troopers and things like that, but if you get a budget and you want to do a horror sci-fi movie, Doom is ripe. Since you're not doing original concepts and films anymore, Doom is one of the better ones to try to cherry-pick. I disagree. I, that's probably because I don't like movies that are high on action and low on story. I don't ever want that. Some people want that in their games and in their storytelling. I'm fine with it in a game. I don't judge it in a game, but I judge it in a movie. And there's just nothing here to adapt. There's no reason to. And once again, I kind of walk down the middle of that. You know, it's like I don't go out of my way to look for high action, low story movies. But if something comes along and it's innovative and it happens to be tied to Doom, sure, why not? But yeah, I'm not sitting here right now twiddling my thumbs hoping that doom comes back to the big screen i honestly there's too many other video game properties for them to fuck up <laughs> all i'll say is john carmack if you're listening i have ideas that we could make a better doom game call me but if they don't make a doom movie i'm not pining for it i just think that it would work better than rampage i at least see more story in doom than rampage i don't know how you couldn't i mean it's godzilla wolfman and king kong all rolled into one yeah, that made the game cool. It's like, oh my god, I can play Godzilla, King Kong. I don't know why there's a giant wolf. Wolfman was never a building destroyer, but <laughs> I'll take him. And he was always the one I played least, though. But now we're going to have a movie where destroying buildings is a bad thing or something? I can't tell. It looks like The Rock has a pet albino King Kong. That's all I know. Yeah, it's a weird thing because in the Godzilla movie, you usually are rooting for Godzilla to break it all down. Here, we're supposed to want Rock to save us? <laughs> Let it, let it all burn, Rock. I'm cool with it. But you know what? I don't know what this movie's going to be like. I do love the video game. And I'm hoping at the very least to get some fun destruction as we head to movie theaters this weekend. And then come back with a podcast next week. I tell you what, if the toy aisles are any indication of what this movie is, I'm pretty sure I've seen a Rampage Gorilla that actually just was a repainted version of the King Kong thing sitting next to it from <laughs> Skull Island. Wow. They're recycling so much about this property. Why not recycle the toys as well? The only toys that got me excited were the ones that were actually based on the 80s arcade, not based on the movies. They made some of those. Big head retro toys. Also, if you're in the mood for a little bit more story and a little bit less arcade, starting next week, some real story-based stuff our donation drive for spring 2018 begins with The Godfather. That's right. We are going to look at Al Pacino in all his various gangster and police officer forms. It's our gold level series. We're starting with Godfather 1, 2, and 3. And then we'll be working through Al's resume. Sometimes he's playing a cop like Serpico or Heat. 
And sometimes he's playing a gangster like in Scarface or Dick Tracy. We're covering all of those in gold and platinum level. And then once we get closer to July and the new Purge movie, Silver Level will begin with Assault on Precinct, the original John Carpenter movie, the remake that was done by the Purge guys, and then four Purge films. Yeah, that starts next week. Get your donations in now to be one of the first to hear our review of The Godfather. So Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next week, game over. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Is it always that rough? Believe me, it used to be a lot rougher. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. What were you downloading? What were you sent to protect? And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including... Resident Evil, The King of Kong, The Wizard, Super Mario Brothers, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Tomb Raider, Rampage, and more. We all know what we're dealing with here. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. How long's it been? Ten years. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. We're going to need something with a little bit more kick. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. If it's trying to kill you, it's a threat. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Is that an order? Recommendation. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You hesitate, people die. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. People, this room is a code red, which means no one gets in without our permission. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss these movies and games with other listeners. It was so smart, how come they're so dead? If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. I didn't figure it was the sort of thing I could jot down on a yearly birthday card. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Now follow me, please. 
Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'm not supposed to die. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Steve and Arnie. We can handle this. Now Playing credits read by Brock. Every time you open your mouth, give away our position. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Got a problem with that, Duke? We saw a hell no, I love my The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Do you think I'm lying to you? Is that what you're saying? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We're finally done here because I've got a job to do. Would you say we go outside and get some fresh air? Starring Carl Urban, Roseman Pike, Dwayne Johnson. Well, hold on. I need to. He was an and, wasn't he? I mean, I don't know. You could make him an and. <sighs> we all love Richard Brake and Ben Daniels. Well, the third name on the freaking credits, I can't even pronounce. Razak. A doty? A doty from Resident Evil 2. Come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. How can anyone forget a Zock? Every time I've Googled for this fucking movie, it comes up with Indiana Jones. 100% of the mm. time. Temple of. Oh, uh, thank you. I was I was straining. I'm like, Raiders? Why? Lost? What? Yeah, what's the connection? <laughs> Directed by... Our good friend. Pronounce... <laughs> And the Z Is that words? Andre Bartkowiak. <laughs> Andre Bartkowiak. Andre Bartkowiak. But we get Duke, he turns. No. We, Duke the, lasts all the way to the end and then just gets sucked under underground. Okay, um Destroyer, he turns. No. He was just fighting in that uh, prison lab and then falls. Alright, here. Goat! <laughs> And until next week, game over. Ugh. I heard that.